What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris, as always. Chris, what's going on, my man? Not much, man. A lot of big stuff happened over the weekend. I got a chance to watch a lot of Cleveland, Ohio State, a lot of football, a lot of good football. Fun times, man. It was a fun weekend for sports. Yeah, definitely a big football weekend. Um, Lots to talk about on this podcast. Um, You know, you and I had trouble picking what topic to lead with, but we're definitely going to hit everything that happened over the weekend. But first and foremost, let's talk about the team on the cusp of a playoff berth. Uh, Magic number is down to seven for the Cleveland Indians, taking two out of three in the homestand against Detroit. Uh, That's the good news. The bad news is Carlos Carrasco, two pitches into his in his game against Detroit, took a fat, took a line drive right off of his right hand. Uh, he has a hand contusion and is out for the season. He's done. He won't be available for the postseason. Uh, Chris, I, I love that the tribe is on the cusp of, of clinching the playoffs, but man, this is some really depressing news for them. Yes, yeah, certainly a downer. Um, and Bob, I'm just going to boldly say the Indians have won the Central Division. I know the magic number seven book it here there's no way Detroit's catching them it's over so as far as the rest of the season goes the Carlos Cresco injury I don't think is that impactful because it's done the the math is just too astronomical the Indians would have to virtually lose out and Detroit would have to win out so I'm going to take that on the cusp away as far as I'm concerned the Indians are going to the playoffs but the bigger news as you mentioned certainly Carlos Carrasco and it's just such tough luck two pitches in the guy gets a line drive off his hand you know it's not like the guy you know it's not like an old injury flared up out of nowhere it was just bad luck and it's the worst possible time for this to happen but you know what Bob as you and I both know hey this is just another uh you know feather in their cap it started with Michael Brantley and Lonnie Chisenhall and Abraham Almonte the entire starting outfielder started the year inactive or on the DL what happened, all all that happened was Rajay Davis, Tyler Naquin stepped up and filled the void. And Marlon Bird for a time. Remember, he was on the team before he got suspended. So, you know, they right. stepped up. You know, next thing, you know, Jan Gomes is struggling, gets injured. They still haven't found a solution to the catcher offensively. But defensively, you know, Perez and Jimenez aren't bad. Jonathan Lucroy spurns them, vetoes the trade. Whatever, we'll just move on. Now it's Carlos Carrasco injured again. By the way, he was hurt early in the year, too. The rotation was started off kind of in a funk. You know, every it seemed like one guy out of the five was always on the DL or something like that. So this is just the same old, same old, man. The, the tribe has been here before. They have faced so much adversity this season, and that, I think, is what has impressed me the most. This is going to be by far their biggest test because this isn't just a regular season they're going to have to wade through without Carrasco they're going to have to play the entire postseason without him. And and compounding that is the fact that Danny Salazar's situation is unclear. He might be ready for the first round. He might not, and he might be ready for, might come back in the ALCS, and he might not come back at all. So that becomes even more of a wild card now that you don't have Carrasco to fall back on. Yeah, I, th- I think you know you could absorb one loss, but both of them, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, but but you just listed off all the adversity that this Indians team has been through this season, 
um, I, I have no reason to doubt that they'll be able to absorb this one. And, and certainly, I mean, Carlos Carrasco going down isn't going to spell the end of them winning the AL Central. Like you said, uh, the math is just too strong. They still have Corey Kluber, who is uh, not... Um, yeah, I hear you knocking on wood and everything, but, you know, <laughs> he isn't uh, the runaway candidate for the Cy Young Award, but he is probably the favorite right now to win that award in a very crowded American League uh, pitching race, but he, he is a favorite. And so you have your Cy Young candidate still in the game. You have a lineup one through eight, because I'm going to throw out the catching position because those two guys are terrible at the plate, but one through eight, you know, one of the best in the league, second in the league in runs scored. So they're more than just their starting rotation, which, you know, heading into the season and always when we're talking about the tribe, we always said, you know, they're leading with their rotation, but uh, that hasn't really been the case throughout the entire season. You know, Carrasco got hurt early. Salazar has had two stints on the DL is out again. Josh Tomlin has faded away. Um, they've had a lot of adversity in that rotation have never had them all sync up and they've found different ways to win. And that's where I take some faith in. They still have a strong bullpen. They have a strong lineup and they have Corey Kluber. And I think that is still enough to make some noise in the postseason. Yeah. And you didn't even mention one thing. They won that game. Carlos Carrasco yeah. threw two pitches against Justin Verlander, by the way, who had a no hitter, through about midway through the game. I think he walked four and had one or two hits. That's just off the top of my head. Justin Verlander against Carlos Carrasco. Carrasco goes out two pitches into the game. You're the Detroit Tigers with this mashing lineup. The Indians throw nine relievers at you, and you can't score a run in ten innings. That bullpen the Indians have is the best bullpen in baseball. Brian Shaw, Dan Otero, Cody Allen, Andrew Miller. That is a six, seven, eight, ninth inning combination so let's talk about Josh Tomlin and Mike Clevenger all they need to do even if they have to start three games in a best of seven is get through the fifth you get through the fifth that bullprint can bring them home so let's not sit here and say that the tribe is done the, the Indians play great defense the Indians have a great offense as you mentioned you want to know what's part of that great offense they are one of the funnest teams to watch they've got guys who are nightmare on the base path, Rajay Davis, Jose Ramirez, Tyler Naquin, the speed, it's fun to watch this team play for one, but it's a nightmare when they've got runners on. The, the, I mean, this is so much more than their starting rotation. And I'm not trying to minimize the injury. It definitely hurts. You know, not having Carrasco for two games in a best of five and best of seven is definitely not good. But Trevor Bauer would be the number two guy on a lot of teams in baseball. He's their number four. So it's not like they're dropping off that much. I think Trevor Bauer's capable of pitching two games in a postseason. And Josh Tomlin's shown that he can be a serviceable middle-of-the-rotation guy. And Mike Clevenger has pitched well in the second half out of that bullpen. So the Indians' rotation went from kind of superhuman to normal now. But that's just how good their rotation is. They have so many quality arms. They can absorb a couple losses. And by the way, Danny Salazar has not been ruled out. So if he comes back and gives you two in the postseason, that makes it even better. But the ultimate point I want to make here is I will take the Indians bullpen right now over anybody else's in the major leagues. 
I will take Corey Kluber over any other pitcher in the American League, with all due respect to Cole Hamels. Now, National League has some big aces too, but Kluber's right up there with them. You have a legitimate bona fide ace who could pitch two games in a best of five, and if absolutely needed, I'm convinced they could go short rest and go one, four, and seven because they have such a deep bullpen. Let's not underestimate the fact that this deep bullpen is going to be a much bigger weapon in the postseason, and it needs to be a much bigger weapon now that they're down one more starter. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, th- this Indians team, with Carrasco out, with Salazar hurt, you know, it's starting to remind me of last year's Royals team, which went on to win the World Series. Fun and exciting guys, one through nine. No, you know, MVP candidates in that lineup. Uh, you know, guys that that will take home that hardware. Obviously, Mike Napoli and Francisco Lindor are going to get some MVP note votes. Um, you know, just guys that find have different ways of contributing and a starting rotation that was very rocky for the Royals last year. Um, despite some big names, you know, heading in there, they weren't, they weren't that good, but we have Corey Kluber, which is great. We have Andrew Miller, like you said, which is great at the back end. You know, anything's possible in that, in that best of five series and a best of seven. I, I I'm sticking with the Indians. I'm not jumping ship right now. I'm not, I'm not panicking. I think, you know, they've been through too much and they have too much momentum and, tenacity to, to to cave in just because Carlos Carrasco's hurt. I don't think that this is the team that we've watched for, you know, 90% of the season now. Let's just read off some names. Manship, Crockett, Anderson, McAllister, Gardner, Shaw, Allen, Miller. That's eight relievers combined for three hits and three walks. And by the way, Justin Verlander had a one hitter with four walks through seven. You're the Detroit Tigers, man. You got the Indians ace out of the game two pitches in. Now, now I'm not saying they intentionally tried to do it because they, they certainly didn't. I'm not saying that. But but the Indians ace was out two pitches into the game. And you couldn't eat on that bullpen, man. one nothing shutout. I think that is one of the most impressive wins of the season for the Cleveland Indians. And it's just their resiliency in in, in a nutshell. This team, no matter what's been thrown at them, no matter what kind of curveballs they've had to deal with, injuries, all that stuff, guys have stepped up all year. And I'm with you, man. There's no reason to jump off this ship. You know, Abraham Almonte is not going to play in the postseason. I don't think that that's a crushing loss because they've traded for uh, guys to shore that up. Which, by the way, we might as well bring this up. Big apologies to Coco Crisp. We did not mention that trade on our podcast a couple weeks back. Uh, the, the Indians bringing back fan favorite Coco Crisp from 2005 uh, to the team uh, to, to shore up the outfield because Almonte won't be eligible for yeah. the postseason. Uh, so the, the fact of the matter is, Bob, look, this team has the best pitcher in the American League, in my opinion, the best bullpen in the American League, a great defense, a fun, exciting offense. I still think they're in good position to make a run at this thing. Yeah, I, I do too. I think they're still in there with everyone else. Obviously, the loss hurts. I mean, you want Carrasco out there. It's not like they're better for this. They're they're worse, um, but I think they can overcome it, and I don't think that the other challengers, especially in the American League, are that much better, it, especially in, in a long series, like in a long format series, uh, best of seven. Yeah, apologies to Coco Crisp as well. Um, 
I think the only time there probably t- only two other times I've been madder that Cleveland, a Cleveland player has left Cleveland. Um, Jim Tomei leaving and LeBron leaving. Obviously I was so mad when they traded away Coco Crisp. I thought it was the dumbest thing. I, I was so upset. And, you know, Andy Marte, man, what, what a bust. And I just was so mad that that was the guy that we got back. But so I'm glad that he's a uh, he he's back. You know, kind of pulling the Kenny Lofton in 2007, coming back to the Tribe uh, playoff bound team to to help them in the postseason. It's fun, and I think he's a, a a very good replacement for Abraham Almonte when he will be forced to sit out in the postseason. And you no, know, going back to 05, I was pretty stunned at how shocked people were. Coco Crispot traded now. Now he was a fan favorite, no doubt, and I I enjoyed his playing style, but. We did get, at the time, Andy Marte was one of the best prospects in baseball. I was a little excited for that. Now, obviously, it turned out to be a bust, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, I'm not I'm not saying I was disappointed that he was traded. I, I missed Coco Crisp, but I, I wasn't as heartbroken as most people were, um, but I'm certainly glad that he's back. You're right. It, it's definitely a reminiscent of Kenny Lofton coming back in 2007 um, for that postseason run. Let's just hope that when the time is right in game seven he uh takes the chance and rounds third and tries to score yeah or at don't least don't hold him up don't hold his, Coco his coach Crisco. gives him the gives him the green light at least right with this team i think the green light would happen because this is a very aggressive base running team and it's fun to watch yeah for sure i think they i think everyone short of mike napoli has the green light <laughs> <laughs> maybe carlos santana i don't know but he right runs, other than no santana can run though i mean he's not a base dealer but he he can move that's true that's true but but yeah man bob look last couple weeks man ever since we did this ohio state preview we circled last weekend's game as a definite loss i mean i think i said i'd be shocked if the buckeyes lost by less than 10 how stunned are you to not only see ohio state come out of norman oklahoma with a win but with a very convincing one. I mean, Oklahoma got destroyed on their home field. Yeah, I, I'm very stunned. Um, I'm I'm so stunned, and I don't I don't think this is a f- this is fair to Ohio State. But I'm so stunned that I'm starting to question how good Oklahoma is, and, and that's just you know how much they dominated them. I mean, the Oklahoma Sooners' offense, which was their key selling point you know baker mayfield and samaj piran both heisman contenders baker mayfield finished you know high in, in heisman voting last year you know you, this is supposed to be a high octane offense uh did not score an offensive touchdown until late in that second quarter uh very shocked that ohio state was able to pull off that upset and do it in such a convincing fashion um yeah but now now i just have questions about how good oklahoma is because i had them as a playoff team and that's already done their next two games on the road against TCU and Texas. I mean, this could be a one in four team. Well, possibly, but let, let's reel back a little bit. I think it's fair to question Oklahoma because they're one and two, but this is the curse of scheduling a tough non-conference schedule. You have a lot of people clamoring at you because of your record. I'm going to give Oklahoma mad props for going out and scheduling not one, but two teams that played in new year's six bowls last year houston and ohio state let's let's not forget that these losses didn't come 
to some chump programs, okay? It's not like North Dakota State upsetting Iowa, which we'll talk about in a minute. You know, they lost to Ohio State and Houston, who played in the New Year's Six Bowl last year. So I don't know how good Oklahoma is because I certainly think the Sooners could still win the Big 12. I think the Big 12 as a conference is always overrated because nobody in that conference plays defense. And you see it all the time when the Big 12 gets on the big stage against big non-conference teams like the SEC, the Big 10. I remember Michigan State rattling off a ton of points in the fourth quarter in the Cotton Bowl to swipe a bowl game from Baylor. You know, they get lit up, you know, Clemson lit up Oklahoma last year in the bowl game. I think this lack of defense in the Big 12 bites it when it comes to big games. And you saw it again there. Ohio State had its way with the Sooners. 35 first half points. And it was 45 to 24 the final. It wasn't even that close. Like, it, it just wasn't even that close. JT Barrett was great. Uh, only threw for 152 yards, but had four touchdowns and also had 74 yards on the ground. Bob, we talked about wide receiver being an issue. Noah Brown stepped up big. Five receptions, 72 yards, caught four touchdown passes, all of them in the second quarter, and then the first one out of halftime. So we had four in a row there. Uh, he really stepped up on the big stage. Curtis Samuel with over 100 uh, total yards, 98 rushing. Uh, and then Mike Weber, the the freshman with 18 carries, 123 yards. So all these guys we've highlighted as needing to step up and fill big roles did so against Oklahoma. And Ohio State's defense, man, a very young and green defense. Oklahoma's offense, as you said, Baker Mayfield was a Heisman finalist last year, lit up the stat sheet with his arm and his legs. Bob, he only had five yards rushing. He threw two interceptions, didn't barely completed 50% of his passes. Uh, really a non-factor. Those two touchdowns, I mean, he did not leave his fingerprints on the game. Even though he threw for more yards than JT Barrett, I felt like Barrett just impacted the game way more than Mayfield did. And yeah, this was a hosing. And Bob, I'm going to say it right here. I'm never doubting Urban Meyer again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Urban Meyer. I'm I'm apologizing to Ohio State because I wrote this thing off as a beatdown loss for the Buckeyes. I'm begging for forgiveness now because I was 100% wrong. Yeah, I I was certainly wrong as well. I mean, yeah, Noah Brown, if, yeah, filled the stat sheet with those four touchdowns of his five catches, four of them were touchdowns, including what many are calling the catch of the year, catching that against the the cornerback. Um, But that's not really the story. I know JT Barrett had, again, four touchdown passes. The real story was they ran the ball 48 times for 291 yards. that you know they went they went with their young team on the road and they were just going to hand the ball off and run it down their throats until they could stop it Uh, I know a lot of that came in in the second half when you know basically the game was well out of reach already but still they they had a mindset of you know stop this stop the run option stop the run and then we'll put JT Barrett to test on, uh, with his arm and Oklahoma just could not stop the run. And, you know, they had their way physically on, on both sides of the ball uh, on the, on the flip side, you know, 36 attempts for Oklahoma for only 177 yards. So um, it was just a physical, they, they just outplayed them from the physical aspect on, on both sides of the ball. Oh, certainly. And uh, you know, yeah, you got to give Ohio state all the credit in the world, hostile environment, 
And look, man, Oklahoma may have been slightly overrated, but I don't think we can tell much from those two losses. I think if they pile up losses in the Big 12, then yes. But until I see them start losing to a team that they shouldn't lose to, um, I can't say that yet. Because Ohio State and Houston, to me, were toss-up games. Either of those teams could come out. Well, no, actually, you know what? No, I, I did think the Oklahoma Sooners would beat the Buckeyes. But certainly whenever you play a big program like Ohio State, you can't be totally stunned if Ohio State came out with a victory. Um, so it's not like they're losing to anyone that they can feel ashamed about. Let's just put it that way. But, Bob, taking a step back, I mean, going into the year, you and I both thought that the Big Ten probably wasn't going to send a team to the college football playoffs. Um, this weekend, uh, obviously there was one very bad loss on the Big Ten, but the the Iowa-North Dakota State game overshadowed a couple of really big wins. I mean, Michigan State taking it to Notre Dame and then Nebraska taking it to Oregon on the heels of Wisconsin taking it to LSU. So it's not just Ohio State this year. A lot of other teams are stepping up and winning big in the non-conference in this league. Do, do you think the Big Ten is kind of making a statement uh, in this non-conference season? Yeah, I I don't know if, it, if, if it's a statement. It's the, it's the usual suspects that you see making those big games obviously nebraska being oregon that that was an upset um and you know wisconsin hosting lsu all the way up in in wisconsin week one can be seen as an upset as well but you know michigan state and ohio state winning big games non-conference that's nothing new um entering conference play now though uh it's gonna be a little quiet for for especially for for ohio state who you know they have that road trip against Wisconsin, but their big games against the two Michigan schools is until the end of the year. So they, they need these these feathers in their caps because um, you know they're they're going into conference play where things settle down a little bit. Now some of those big time matchups, you know Wisconsin, who would have thought that they would enter conference play as a, a top eleven team in in NCAA football rankings? But um, I still think you know it, it's it's those big guns at top up top on in Ohio state, Michigan state and Michigan. Um, I understand some, some upsets happen, but it's, it's those three teams conference to lose. The rest of them have, have elevated the big 10 a little bit, but um, if Ohio state, Michigan state or Michigan, if they take care of their business, obviously they're, they're playoff mountain teams. I'm going to make a bold prediction right here. Michigan is the most overrated team in the nation right now. They will lose three conference games. That is what I'm saying right here. Michigan is over. In in particular, do you do you have them circled or you're just saying? I, I don't really have them circled, but I just think they will lose three conference games. That's my bold prediction. I, I look, they struggle against Colorado. They've played UCF and Hawaii. Um, I think the other teams that are ranked have at least beaten someone this year. Michigan has beaten no one yet. They have not been tested. They are still a young team with a guy who is in his second year, and I'm not saying. Jim Harbaugh is a bad coach. I'm just saying he's in his second year. I want to see them beat someone before I buy the Kool-Aid. I do not think they're number four. I think it's just completely disrespectful that Houston and um, Clemson are ranked behind them. I don't think that – and Stanford. Stanford's the big one. Stanford should definitely be number four over Michigan. Michigan has not proven anything yet. And so I I am just going to go on a limb and say that that team is going to be the one to fall the furthest of these teams ranked right now. Um, and you're right. I mean, Nebraska over Oregon, a very big upset because Nebraska by name is a big time program, 
but recent history they have not been that great they have underachieved so to see them at 3-0 in the top 25 is big because remember Bob the Big Ten only plays three non-conference games now so now the table's set for the conference league you know all these teams have to do is beat up on the teams below them and maintain their standing in the rankings and as long as they don't eat each other up too much one of them will come out in the playoffs because that's how this thing works you got to elevate your league in the non-conference and then you've set the table to have a pretty tough schedule the way all the way through so i think the big 10 has done that very successfully and um yeah i think that that they have set themselves up in a much better position than i ever thought they'd be in i i i'm on the record on this podcast saying the big 10 would be left out of the dance but with so many ranked teams and no more non-league games. I mean, it's going to take some of those teams at the bottom to, to throw a monkey wrench in the plan. Yeah, certainly. Uh, looking at Michigan's schedule, by the way, you know, road games against Ohio State and Michigan State and Iowa, hosting Wisconsin in a couple of weeks, maybe there, somewhere in there are your three losses. Um, I, I think it's definitely possible. Um, you know, Michigan State certainly, certainly looks like a, a legit team with that win against Notre Dame. So, um, yeah, they, they definitely have... Uh, teams that are you know could even absorb a loss and still make that playoff especially uh you know michigan michigan state and ohio state they they can they'd be able to do that um so yeah the 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 road to the playoff looks uh like it it might send a a big 10 team obviously there's there's a lot more football to go and, and these teams can cannibalize themselves we've seen it happen so we will have to see but the table is set like you said um all right. Well, we talked about the good one really bad loss, though, over the weekend for the Big Ten. Iowa losing to North Dakota State. Um, Chris, th- this is, you know, ties Cleveland ties to North Dakota State, passing up Carson Wentz, uh, the quarterback uh, in last year's draft. And then the team without him comes out and beats a ranked Iowa team. How shocked are you that that, that upset was pulled? Honestly, I'm not as shocked as a lot of people are. And here's why. Um, North Dakota State is not Appalachian State. You know, Appalachian State's upset over Michigan is the biggest upset that I've ever witnessed um, because Michigan was number five in the nation coming off a strong season. They were number two overall. Uh, that was the one year after the 1v2 game. That, that, that still stuns me to this day. I can't believe that that Michigan team lost to Appalachian State. And here's why. Other than that win over Michigan, Appalachian State, in the 10 games they played against FBS teams from 2004 to 2012 until they joined F uh, excuse me until they joined FBS they were 1 in 9 that is their only win over an FBS school going over to North Dakota state they have won their last 5 games against FBS competition going into this game now i know okay fine they beat Kansas they beat Minnesota they beat Colorado state Kansas state and Iowa state so you can debate the merits of their wins but FCS beating FBS is, is, is a big upset. But this isn't your traditional FCS school. This is a school that is not afraid of playing FBS competition. They have gone on the road and beaten five straight opponents going into this Iowa game. They were not intimidated by Iowa. Uh, I said Michigan's the most overrated team in the Big Ten. I, I thought before that it was Iowa because Iowa all last year just kind of did what it needed to do. And then when it played on the big stage, it got exposed. I'm not trying to undermine the 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 impact of a, of losing to an FCS school, but I don't think North Dakota State is your typical FCS school. I think North Dakota State is a better football team 
than a lot of other bad FBS teams, as evident by the fact that they are 6-0 and in their last game against the FBS. Yeah, certainly the best of the FCS for sure. Still, you're a ranked FCS, excuse me, uh, the best of the FCS for sure, but you're a ranked Iowa team in the FBS. Um, Got to take care of business. It's still upset for sure, but um, you're right. It's not like losing to... I don't know, Iowa Tech or something, you know, if there, if there is such a school or something like that. But it is still a bit a big time upset and one that, you know, is putting North Dakota State further on the map. You know, they're receiving votes in, in the AP Top 25 right now to be ranked, which I think is certainly cool, impressive, and might be deserving given the way that they beat Iowa. So um, definitely upset, but overall a very good week for the Big Ten, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. And honestly, if Iowa beats North Dakota State, it would have just been the banner week for the Big Ten. They would have gone, you know, 10-1. and one. Uh, Illinois, their only lost. Um, three other teams didn't play. So, yeah, 9-2 and two as a league. That's something to brag about. But not just that. The marquee wins. They won the three big games, and everyone else except for Iowa took care of business. Illinois is not in the picture anyway, so honestly, it's no big deal that they lost. I mean, I'm just being honest here, man. I mean, every league has teams that just aren't in the picture, and quite frankly, Illinois is not going to factor much anyway. So the fact of the matter is, uh, very strong weekend for the Big Ten, and Iowa, man, just just a big letdown. Um, but Bob, uh, other teams made statements too. It's not just the Big Ten. Uh, two things that stuck out in my mind. One, Louisville is for real. And two, the Big 12 had a bad week beyond Oklahoma with Texas losing to Cal. The Big 12 is really in danger. I I mean, I said they weren't going to send a team to the playoffs. It's looking like that league's the odd league out this year. Yeah, it certainly looks like it. Um, What, Baylor is the only ranked undefeated Big 12 team left already. Um, You know, with, with Oklahoma, two losses, they're most likely out. Or I mean... They're probably out. TCU with a loss, and now Texas with a loss. Yeah, uh, it's it's looking pretty slim for the Big Twelve. Not not looking good. Um, Louisville with that dominant win. Uh, yeah, I think most people kind of saw that FSU was a little bit underrated, but nobody, you know, we were talking about earlier. Nobody saw that kind of blowout from Lamar Jackson and, and Louisville Cardinal. That's pretty cool to see. I know you have friends in Louisville, and we're probably happy to see that. Um, you know, I highlighted uh, my game of the week last week was Alabama versus Ole Miss, which I think actually was the game of the week, the way Alabama uh, was able to come back on the road against Ole Miss, you know, uh, down big uh, at the halftime and just defensively made some huge plays and then were able to, you know, enter into a shootout in the second half. Very fun game to watch with a 48-43 to win over the Rebels. Ole Miss blowing two 20 point leads against Florida State and Alabama in their first three games. I mean, yeah, they're good, but you, you gotta you gotta hold on to the points, man. Uh, very surprising. Did you have a chance to watch that game? I wish I did. I watched the Tribe. I was so hooked on the uh, the the Indians game. That was the Saturday game that Carrasco hmm. got hurt. That was sure. such an intense game. I love low scoring baseball. It's it's so fun and intense. So I kind of wish that that. Ole Miss Alabama game was on at noon and the Louisville Florida State game was on during the tribe because I kind of zoned out of the, the Louisville game I would have definitely watched the Alabama game if the tribe wasn't uh, conflicting with it but uh, Bob 
One more thing before we switch subjects here. Houston, 3-0. I said they'd make the playoffs. If Louisville beats Clemson, Houston and Louisville play late in the year. That could be a play-in game. That, that could be a play-in game. And think about this. If Oklahoma runs the table, wins the Big 12, and Louisville only loses to Houston, Houston will have beaten not one, but two Power 5 conference champions. I don't see how you deny them under that scenario. It just that Houston is definitely a big winner with that Louisville beatdown of Florida State because now Louisville is a big marquee game if they were to um, upset Clemson as well. Yeah, I mean, Houston obviously needs Louisville to be in a strong position when that game happens. It's at Houston on a Thursday night. So uh, both sides have to be licking their chops. But Louisville certainly has to get through Clemson and, and through the rest of the ACC. Um, Houston, uh, you know, I don't, I can't rattle off all the names on their schedule from here to Louisville, but it's no one ver- really worth noting. I mean, beating Cincinnati might be their biggest win between Oklahoma and Louisville. So they definitely need Louisville to be good to, to add another notch in their belt if they are, are truly a playoff bound team. Don't sleep on Navy, baby. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's Keenan, Keenan Reynolds. Is that? I don't think he's with him anymore. Yeah, I know. He's gone, so the Navy's gone, too. <laughs> but speaking of another team that's gone, switching yeah, to the okay. pros, uh, Bob, Cleveland Browns. I mean, I, I was in the press box for this game. I got to cover it. Um, just another edition of the Cleveland Browns f- losing in creative ways. How do you score touchdowns on your first three drive and then not score for the rest of the game? It's it's baffling. Um, it's truly a Cleveland Brown way to lose. Um, you know, as soon as they blocked that kick and ran it back for the two points, I was like, oh, well, here it comes. Like, that's going to bite us, you know, and it did. You know, it, it totally did because it would have been. the same thing I said. Yeah, it would have been 21 to 23 at the end. Now, obviously, that changes the entire complexity of the game, the butterfly effect and all that stuff. But still, uh, a five-point game (laughs) turns into a two-point game. Uh, Yeah, from from then on, it was downhill. Josh McCowan lasted a quarter of, of good health. And when he was healthy, they looked fantastic. It just makes you wonder what can be if we get a competent, smart quarterback behind the reins and is able to use some of these young guns because Terrell Pryor and Corey Coleman will get to their gaffes at the end, but throughout the first three and a half quarters were fantastic and made some big plays, and Josh McCown was able to hit them. And kudos to McCown for staying in there and gritting it out and being tough, but, I mean, the dude's, what, 37, and he lasted a quarter in good health before getting hurt. I mean, there's no way he's going to last 14 more games behind this offensive line having to throw the ball this many times for a Browns team that's always going to be behind um yeah it's just another another disastrous day for the Browns um shame on me for getting excited (laughs) watching them score three straight touchdowns because you knew what was coming I didn't get excited at all I'm not even kidding when they were up 20 to nothing I'm like wow this is interesting let's see how this goes and then the block I'm like oh my gosh it's starting I knew they were going to lose the second uh, Baltimore kicked the field goal to to cut the lead to eight going into halftime. I'm like, this is it. They're done. Baltimore's going to win this game. And they did. 
I mean, it's it, it, I just seen the movie so many times. It was it's like when you're channel surfing and you find a movie that you kind of like, but you just want to watch it anyway. That this is kind of what the Browns are. They they are a a constant repeat of finding these ways to lose games and huge penalties against Corey Coleman and Terrell Pryor. Both of them borderline. Now, first off, let's talk about Corey Coleman. He got flagged for taking a shot at um, you know, Steve Smith, the defender. But uh, Smith actually punched Corey Coleman in the face after that, and he was yeah. not flagged. I-, I thought that was garbage on replay. Uh, Jimmy, it should have been offsetting Smith, foul. Jimmy Smith, excuse me, not Steve Smith. Uh, Steve Smith, the wide receiver. Uh, Jimmy Smith, the defender. Um, yeah, I thought that was garbage. It should have been offsetting fouls. You know, th- that one's tough. Uh, I, I totally understand the refs not seeing the whole thing. They only see the last one, but they saw Corey Coleman shove and get in Jimmy Smith's face before Jimmy Smith swung at Corey Coleman's face, or at least that's what I'm assuming. So I, I'm scratching my head at that one, um, but I can I can let that slide a little bit. What I can't let slide is Terrell Pryor's taunting call. Um, I, staring right at Terrell Pryor and the cornerback, Ladarius Webb, I believe it was. Um, how how can you rule that taunting? Yeah, I don't get that because he was the ref was right behind the defender Webb, and he was tossing him the ball and it just roll hit off his shoulder. I didn't see the taunt there. I didn't see a taunt there. Now you can call me a Browns fan, if sure, whatever, bias, whatever. But I didn't see a taunt there. I'm sorry that that is a weak taunting call, and look. It didn't decide the game because so many other things decided the games. The Browns yeah. just fell, fell apart. You, you have a 20-point lead. Don't put yourself in that position. But four shots from the 10-yard line, who knows what would have happened. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, it it didn't cost the Browns a game, but it definitely cost the Browns a chance to reclaim the game at the end for sure. Um, I, I just don't know how you call that taunting. The replay show, like, Terrell Pryor wasn't even saying anything. There was just a a, a placid look on his face. He he wasn't even his mouth wasn't even open. I don't know how you, you know, that's either the coolest taunt in the world or, or Terrell Pryor's a mute. I don't understand how you can say that, or how you can how you can throw the flag on that. But like you said, the Browns were up twenty to nothing at one point. Didn't score a single point from the second quarter on. That's inexcusable, um, and it, it really just kind of left a bad taste on what was a great coming out party for, you know, Corey Coleman with a hundred yards and two touchdowns. I, I thought he had a fantastic day, but you can't get flagged for those calls late in the game. Other guy who had a great day is Joe Hayden. It was refreshing to see him have two interceptions, one, a great athletic play in the end zone and the other, a beautiful read jumping around on uh, Steve Smith and the right Smith this time. Um, so uh, it was good to see him kind of shake off some of the rust and have a good game against Baltimore um, and Bob, you're going to get your wish this week because week three, and it's the third different quarterback. Cody Kessler has been named the starter. So you've got yeah. the young, you wanted a competent, young, healthy quarterback. You've got one out of three. Let's see if he's competent and let's see if he can stay healthy. We don't know anything about him because this is his first NFL game. Uh, but Bob, did you know that this is their fifth different starting quarterback in the last five games dating back to the last two games of last year 
I, I do I do know that because I, I watch them and that's that's a shame before we, we talk in the you know the injuries and what happens next week um two other shout outs I thought Demario Davis had a fantastic game was all over the field and, I, and Danny Shelton for the second straight week actually looked like a first round nose tackle uh, eight tackles two solos was clogging up the middle so um, that is a bright spot but yeah Cody Kessler I mean they were they didn't trade away Josh McCowan partially because Cody Kessler was not ready did not look really good in the preseason so uh, you know put your seatbelts on this is going to be a really bad stretch of games where Cody Kessler is our starting quarterback just because he's so young so fresh and it wasn't taken wasn't drafted in a position to start for the Browns he was the third string quarterback just a week ago Colt McCoy can empathize because he wasn't drafted to start but hey when you get drafted by the Browns you better be ready to play because they go through like five quarterbacks a year but I'm sure we will talk more about Cody Kessler on our Friday bonus edition podcast football Fridays we'll be previewing every single one of the Browns matchup just a quick hitter you know not nothing too long but just a quick little 10 minutes here and there to preview the upcoming matchup for the Browns so be sure to check that out it'll be on familyroadsports.com this Friday as we preview the upcoming matchup against the Dolphins uh Bob one thing we also meant we kind of goofed those last couple weeks we forgot Coco Crisp we did not mention uh Iman Shumpert's uh, little troubles uh pulled over and was cited with a DUI for uh you know being high uh marijuana obviously uh Bob this is not good this is just not good I know the Cavs are defending champions but uh Iman Shumpert still was a good part of that team and uh you you obviously don't want to see uh these kind of off the off the court things uh possibly affect the season yeah it's 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 never good obviously you know never want to see a guy on the team get arrested um it, it it's not going to be that big a deal at the most he's going to get two a two-game suspension which you know in the 82 game nba season especially on a lebron james cavalier season um, they will be able to play without Iman Shumper for two games. It won't be that big a deal. And it's not like um, th- the actions that he took were telling of worse actions. You know, it's not like some of the other guys that I can remember getting arrested for DOI. It turns out that they had, you know, automatic weapons on the side or something. So, uh, yeah, a very stupid move, but it's not telling of anything, you know, a chronic, terrible pattern of behavior. So um, it's unfortunate to see but not 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 a big story yeah i don't think it's a huge story in and of itself uh i think it's unfortunate that he put himself in that situation and obviously we're not trying to minimize the you know duis uh, they're very serious but at the same time you're right i mean the the Cavs can absorb iman shumper being away for two games heck they can absorb him being away for two months i mean they absorbed kyrie irving being away for about two months last year so the fact of the matter is like you said a lebron james led cavaliers team they're going to take a few games off here and there throughout the year so it's not like you know losing shumper is going to be that big a deal uh but but like you said there's no pattern with iman shumper so hopefully it's just a one-time mistake that he can just put behind him and fortunately it doesn't sound like anyone was hurt in the process so uh you know hopefully it's just something that he learns from and, and it doesn't happen again and, and that's really all i can say yeah yeah not not a whole lot more there to it other than that 
All right, man. Well, well, we started off the podcast with some bad news, moved into some good news, and then with the Browns, I mean, it, it, to me, I don't have high expectations, so I'm never really disappointed by them. So, you know, I can't really say it was <laughs> bad news. But, uh, yeah, we, we had a ton to talk about this last weekend, and with the Cleveland Indians revving up for a playoff run, I anticipate a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks with the Ohio State Buckeyes uh, having that big we- win. Uh, a lot of people excited for them. Maybe this isn't a reloading year. Maybe they're still trying to go for a Big Ten championship. Uh, they're off this weekend, so no Buckeyes to watch. But plenty of tribe time. Please come back next Monday for the next episode of Clee Talk. We'll be talking Cleveland sports for another 45 minutes or so on this podcast, just like we do every single week. You can check us out at FenleyRoadSports.com. You can search and subscribe to us on iTunes through FenleyRoadSports.com. Or if you're on iTunes, just search Family Road Sports and click Clee Talk. Please subscribe and rate us highly. We do appreciate your listenership and your support. You come back to the website. Follow us on Twitter at Family Road Sports or Instagram at Family Road Sports. And, of course, come back next week for another episode of Clee Talk where we'll be talking tribe and everything else and hoping for some good news next week about the tribe instead of another bad story or something like that. But until then, go tribe. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go tribe. Take it easy, Bob.